Southwestern family of companies welcomes you to the Action Catalyst. Each week, our diversely and amazingly accomplished guests share their insights and inspirations to help us ignite our own. So let's invest attention together to breathe, to reflect and refocus, and decisively defeat that voice we call Mr. Mediocrity. Then let's enjoy moving forward to make a positive difference in our world. Are you interested in advertising with the Action Catalyst? Our listeners could be hearing about your brand right here, right now. For details, shoot us an email at info at theactioncatalyst.com. Today, we're going to be hearing from Mr. Stan Mabry. Stan is the proprietor of Stanford Fine Art here in Nashville, one of the most respected art dealers in the entire area, in fact, around the country and around the world. Stan and I have known each other since he was a college student. Like so many other successful people in business, he got his start selling books door-to-door with Southwestern Advantage. Stan is somebody that actually leads a double life. Most of us have seen the Indiana Jones movies, and we see this mild-mannered archaeology professor by day who is a swashbuckling hero by night. Stan is not only highly respected, scholarly, and full of wisdom about art, particularly the American art that he specializes in, but he also is the seven-time world champion of the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. I'm not kidding. Seven times world champion. That means working his way through the brackets, defeating all comers, and this most recent championship was at the black belt level, which means you could be working against people that are black belts for 30 years, 35 years. They've been there. They've done it. They've seen it all. And yet again, when the medals were passed out, the world championship medal went to Stan. He combines the ability to be present and focused in his art dealings and building a tremendous business and also in this side which in, at which he is the world champion. So we're going to learn a little bit more from him about each of these aspects because they're very germane to anybody that is striving to move toward their goals in life. And that's what this podcast is all about. So Stan, we're so glad you could join us today. Welcome to the Action Catalyst. Uh, thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's just great. Stan, if you don't mind with just uh, the shortest autobiography, maybe, of how you got involved in the in the art business and how you began to build Stanford Fine Art, which you now have been in charge of for more than 30 years. Okay. Uh, I was an anthropology major in college, uh, went to graduate school in anthropology, wasn't quite sure what I wanted to do with that, um, found myself living in New York City. And I ran into uh, Spencer Hayes. I had sold books for a number of summers, and Spencer remembered me from from the book field. And uh, Spencer spoke to me about starting an art business. And I remember telling him, Spencer, I know nothing about art. I've never taken an art history course. However, I had gone to Europe with uh, money that I'd saved from selling books and did basically a uh, my grand tour. Uh, so I, I knew a little bit, but uh, it wasn't in an academic setting. Uh, so Spencer just kind of put that in my head and we, we talked about that. And, um, anyway, one thing led to the next and he was able to set up a job interview at Sotheby's in New York, the auction house, uh, where I worked for just a few years. Um, and then helped Spencer and his wife, uh, look for things in the city when they would come to New York. And then Spencer suggested I come to Nashville and start calling on people. And that's what I started doing in 1987 and continue to do 
till today. So uh, it really came from Spencer's mentorship and just putting the idea about uh, being immersed in art. And uh, it's just been a wonderful life so far. So it's a great example of how you can take up a new profession and become extremely knowledgeable about it, even when you don't really have a background in that. Uh, absolutely. It's just uh, I dated a girl who <laughs> went to Wellesley College. She was an art history major, and we would go certain places, and she was always astounded that I just re remembered certain things. But I think it, a lot of that came from just being able to focus, uh, like on the book build when you're calling on a family and you're kind of all in that moment, being present in the moment. It was the same way with art. I was just trying to drink it up as much as I could. Well, I know that many of the people that work with you also are presented with art from several other dealers. Can you share one or two insights on what you think helps you gain loyalty from your clients and your customers? Where they? Well, I'm really conscious on what they're trying to do. If it's just, you know, having beautiful things on their home or trying to build a collection, no matter what level, uh, I see all aspects of it as kind of a, you know, historical perspective. Uh, art his, art history uh, 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 angle or even the investment aspect. So I try to kind of work all those things in with the goals of what the client has in mind. And I try to put things in front of them that I think that they will really enjoy living with and uh, getting a lot of emotional attachment to a painting and just waking up and getting other benefits from it, just the uh, emotional level of just living with beautiful art is a wonderful thing. So finding out what's important to them and then helping uh, tailor a solution that's going to work really well for them. Mm-hmm. Well, that, yes. that makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. And you've kept this uh, business going and growing, uh, beautiful works of art. They're on display not only here, but you lend pieces to museums and deal with other dealers and all the rest of that. Uh, I remember you sharing a story with me once about persistence in the pursuit of a particular piece of art that I think ultimately took 16 years to acquire. And I think for a lot of our listeners, um, we all want to get things done quickly and tick off the box and make it happen. Can you share just the briefest outlines of that story and then what you did to kind of keep yourself focused during that very long process? Well, uh, Architectural Digest did an article on uh I think it was an ad that an insurance company uh, promoted for each state, and they chose a painting that my gallery uh, had by Ralph E.W. Earl, who had uh, done a life portrait of Andrew Jackson, and that was the lead-off image in the article. And I got it; I sold it fairly quickly. But we got a call from a gentleman who said they had one. He had the name kind of confused, but I just asked him if he could send me a photograph. We got a photograph in the mail, and I called him back and tried to put it together for him. But uh, it was a wonderful painting by Earl of Jackson, uh, the seventh president of the United States. And I would, you know, he didn't want to sell it. Uh, he lived in Florida, uh, but we just kind of stayed in touch. I just would follow, you know, every every four or five months. I'd pick up the phone and call him. And so I did that for 16 years. And then he called me once and he said, Stan, 
I think it's time for us to um, uh, talk about the painting. And I had a group from a museum visiting the gallery one week, uh, the following week, and I said, you know, you couldn't have called at a better time. And um, anyway, I didn't think they were interested in it, but that was enough impetus for him to uh, get it to me. And uh, we sold it in just a matter of, of days, but I had never met him. So when I finally met him, it was just like an uncle I hadn't seen in a long time. We were just like old <laughs> friends, but we just had a, a phone relationship for over uh, a little over 16 years. But they were extremely excited about it. And I actually made a another print of the painting with a very similar frame and gave them that. So they really, you know, when they looked in their dining room, it was still there, even though it wasn't original. Uh, it was something that uh, that they really got a kick out of. That is a true story of persistence and taking the long view instead of instant gratification, and it worked out well for all concerned. I think that's just dramatic. Uh, um, it's exciting. Well, good, and we're delighted for your, your success in the world of art, and it's going to continue, I know for a fact. I think I'm really, really curious how you got involved in martial arts and, and fighting. It seems not only for you to be an art dealer who used to study anthropology, but also to move now into being the world champion. That's that's quite a journey. Can you give some of the, the steps along the way? And then I'd love to ask you about the things you think about when you're facing a particularly tough opponent or how you prepare for the tournament, the matches. We'll take it kind of by degrees. Uh, sure. Uh, my, my dad died when I was seven years old, and my mom always tried to involved me in uh, certain things. And when I was a young boy, she got me involved in judo. So I took judo for a number of years and then, you know, kind of in junior high school, high school, uh, started playing sports and uh, got away from the judo. And as an adult, uh, I started dating a woman who had a little boy and they lived near a dojo uh, that did a certain form of jujitsu. Uh, it was more striking and punching. And, uh, I, you know, I was familiar with that a little bit. So I wanted to bond with the, with the little boy. So it's just something we, we started doing together. And, um, that's really how I, how I got involved in it. And then, and then it led into Brazilian jujitsu, which is more of a grappling, uh, uh, martial arts and I just really it combines wrestling judo uh you know punching I mean no punching uh, but it's just something I truly enjoyed that's uh that's amazing now <clears throat> in this process you went from just having a little bit of really old background in judo to honing your skills to the point where you're seven times world champion can you describe a bit about the the training disciplines and the amount of time that you in recent years have dedicated to your practice? Um, well, I've, I've been doing it and for the last probably 15 years, um, training at least five times a week, um, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, uh, and then, uh, and, uh, Sunday afternoon. So I do it pretty religiously, but, to excel at anything, you have to put the work in. Everybody wants to be a world champion. Everybody wants to be on the, the podium. But you 
you truly, I've always felt if it's truly important to you, you'll, you'll do the things that it takes to uh, get the job done. Uh, you'll find a way to do it. And uh, training is just part, part of that equation. So I, I just put the time in training, trying to be consistent in my job, showing up every day, working hard. And it's the same thing with, with uh, martial arts, just, uh, just continuing training and your technique gets better over time. And it's just an interesting thing. It just helps clarify the mind and uh, helps you in other aspects of your life too. That's what I found. Okay. But in, during these training periods that are between tournaments, when in the tournaments there's bright lights and there's all kinds of spectators, there's, there's lots of adrenaline flowing. What do you do to stay focused on the practice so that you're not just going through the emotions, but you're actually getting better? You mentioned your skills get better with time. That's not always true. People can put a lot of time in and not get better. So is there something that you do for self-motivation, self-attitude when you're in a practice session or, or uh, taking some coaching that actually causes you to progress? Well, I, I write down my goals every, every night for the next day in work. Uh, it's the same way with jujitsu. I may not have a tournament for three or four months away, but I still write down on a, uh, index card that I want to win that tournament. And I'll see that card in the morning, afternoon, evening. Uh, I'll have one at work as well. So that's always mentally preparing myself. I did it on the book field. I'd have a goal each day that I wanted to achieve. Uh, and it just, it, I think it prepares your mind to, to see that as a reality and it becomes a reality. Sometimes it doesn't work that day. Uh, but I, I think I kind of go into it, even though I may not have a competition for a few months, I'm still thinking about it down the road. So I, I write down my goals and just being consistent on what I'm trying to do. And then when when it's time to compete, then it's all amped up a little bit in terms of laser focus, uh, just your conscious, subconscious level. You've already got your mind prepared for the competition. So you've eliminated, you've pared down a lot of the non-essentials. You've just gotten those out of the way. So therefore, you can focus a lot, a lot uh, harder. You said a second ago, Stan, that you write down your goals every night for your business for the next day. Uh, and you still do that, even though you've been doing this business for more than 30 years. Obviously, you know how to do the business. Um, but why, why do you keep that routine going? And what do you see as the value of a written goal as opposed to just having a thought of what you want to get done the next day? Well, I think it just brings to mind there's a lot of things that can happen and does happen every day that can get you off off track. So by writing those things down, I know that this is something I need to get back to. That's more important than, uh, you know, meeting the electrician or talking to someone about something that really doesn't help me move in that direction. I'll take the time to do all those things, but I know that I had the sense of urgency to get back to what's more important and running the business going for another, uh, you know, uh, championship. So in that sense, that's why I write them down because I know it's aimed towards something that's kind of 
pare down to the essentials of what needs to be done. Because uh, there's all kinds of things that can happen during the day and you can get lost in that. So that's why I write, write it down every, every night. Huh. So that's sort of like your anchor, your focal point for the next day so that the distractions don't throw you way off track. Exactly. Huh. And that's so easy to do is get distracted. So I think that's very cool. And you use just an index card, right? You don't, you're not a real tech person with all the various apps. You just do this. Well, that's, I've, I've always done it. I just take notes on pieces of paper. Um, and it's just index cards work, just work with me. You know, I, I every now and then I'll, I'll tape them to the dashboard of my car. That reminds me of the book field. I used to do it on the book field and it's, it's pretty much the same, same way. So it's those, those visual reminders. In fact, somebody once asked a quote time management expert. So what's the best system? And the answer was the one you'll use. <laughs> that's the best system. And mm -hmm. you figured out how to do it with those index cards, which I think is great. Um, and Stan, I know you're also a real believer in, in preparation. Uh, you've talked about how you write down some goals, even if it's three or four months before a match in preparation, as you start getting closer to the match and you start thinking about the competition itself, what are some of the things that you do? And I'm going to ask you various categories of questions, but what's something you do that, um, causes you to gradually move towards your peak and not push so hard early on that maybe you peak too early before the competition? Well, uh, you know, in, in competition, you know, it's a certain weight class. I mean, you, if you medal, you can qualify to fight in the open weight, which you can fight some really big guys. So you have to physically keep your weight at a certain level. So you're watching what you're eating. Uh, and you're, you're training real hard and you have to be conscious not to get injured. Uh, you always get banged up. It's just part of the nature of the sport. A lot of people are injured to a degree, but you have to just have the, uh, uh, frame of mind not to go out there and fight a white belt who's kind of going for your throat. You just, you know, if he's going to pass your guard or something in class, I don't get any medals in class. So I don't mind doing that. It's when the competition comes, that's when you're you're all in. Um, I think men mentally, I try to prepare myself. Uh, like you said, I, I write down my goals. Uh, I study film footage of my competition, uh, any matches that I've seen them fight. Uh, in this sport, the longer you've done it, you realize that certain guys are really good at a certain uh, way they fight so you have to be conscious of how to how to beat their game uh, if they get to the pull or fight on top it just nuances of the of, of the of the game you have to figure out how how to how to fight that so i i study film footage um and i try to just when the actual tournament comes around we fight in las vegas irvine california uh, New York, just all kinds of different places. But I try to go to the venue the day before. So I kind of get a mental uh, picture where I'm going to change clothes, uh, what mat I'm going to fight on, where I'm going to stand on the mat, uh, the warm up area, the bathrooms. I do all that. So there's no 
questions in my mind that when I go there, I'm 100% dedicated for the reason I'm there is to win, to win. Uh, so I try mm-hmm. to, I, I mean, a lot of this was related to the book field. It's probably, probably not to that degree, but I think not too far off. You know, I'm just uh, focused in on one of the purpose I'm there for, you know, but I have to be conditioned to do it. Uh, and my t- intentness has to be there. And I have to have the adaptability to change if something doesn't go the way I want it to. Uh, so you have to be able to to bounce off if someone gets to their game before you do how to respond to that as well. So you can't be so locked into a way that you're not open to having another vision about something. You still have that same directness and confidence about what you want to do, but you have to be have that adaptability. Got it. So you're a real believer in proper preparation, including going to the venue ahead of time, looking it out, scoping everything so there's no uncertainty the next day. And you find that builds your confidence, that extra bit of preparation? Well, it's the proper focus and proper dedication. And once you, once you do that, I think you can be, uh, uh, you know, have certain competitiveness, greatness about you because you, 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 you're, you're there for a reason and you've prepared yourself. Doesn't necessarily mean that you'll win. Uh, but, but there's an old quote that said that the victory is reserved for those willing to pay its price. And there is a price. It can be mentally and physically, but uh, you'll have a moral victory regardless, uh, even if you don't come out on top. I guess it goes back to the old saying of control your controllables and try not to worry too much about the results. They'll they'll fall where they may. Exactly. That's great. Now, what about what about coping with um, with fear? You know, Stan, we all fear different things, and in business, we. We fear that we are not going to hit our targets or we're not going to be able to make our business a success. Or maybe we've got just a massively stronger, better funded competitor and we're just not sure how we're going to get there. Um, can you share an example or two of a time when perhaps you looked at an opponent or a series of opponents and uh, it, it was pretty scary, pretty daunting? And, and how you dealt with that in terms of your self-motivation, your self-talk uh, so that you could get through them one by one? Well, I, yeah, I've, I've, the first BJJ tournament I went there was a guy that had the, the alphabet tattooed on his back the whole alphabet <laughs> and I was thinking my goodness that's that's a little different because I usually wear a sport coat when I go to these events and people usually I'm pretty recognizable everybody else is dressed a little bit different um, but uh, yeah some of the guys are pretty tough looking they're really really built strong just uh it's amazing and you know you you really have to just focus on your game that's what you do that's what you're here for you've put the time in you've prepared yourself properly and you're ready to uh you know you've given all the effort to win you may not win but you've given the effort to win and it's just like in my business some some months are better than other months and I know if I'm consistent in my efforts that it may not come this month, it may, but it may come in next month. And uh, when I was much younger, I used to be all get all emotionally out of whack because, oh, I didn't have a good month. Uh, but now it's 
I don't, I, I take a bigger perspective now, a longer view. I still do the same sorts of things. I'm still consistent in my efforts to have a good month, to win a tournament. It may not always turn out the way I want it to, but I know over the long haul, I've given everything that I could to come out on top or to have a good month. And that's all we can ask for. I think uh, Zig Ziglar said, winning's not everything, but the effort to win is. And that's really true. That's a fantastic thought. Yeah, it is. It is completely true. Now, you shifted gears when you moved into the black belt division. Again, these are people that had huge amount of experience. They had they had done so many things. Many of them had been black belts for a lot longer than you had been. Were there any particular changes that um, that you felt you needed to make in this level of competition uh, compared to the other ones before? Um. You know, the the issue is that these guys have been doing it so for so long, so you're not going to catch somebody in a, just a triangle choke or arm bar or wrist lock or ankle lock. I mean, they, they've been there hundreds of thousands of times. Um, my first match, the guy, I mean, he, he played, he, he pulled, uh, which meant he got to his game first. Um, that's what he, he, he did. When I fought him, he let me do whatever. And I thought, oh, I thought you were going to do this. And it kind of kind of threw me mentally off. But I went to my game and I and I and I won. Well, he posted something that he had my hand raised on his Facebook page that I was his <laughs> biggest motivation. So I was going to fight him again later that year. And I thought, oh, my goodness, he's really he's really. Uh, targeted me, but um, I, I beat him again uh, for my seventh world championship. And uh, I think you just here again, you just focus on your game, the things that you do really well, uh, and just try to eliminate the things that aren't important. Uh, once I used to talk about the energy pie and the things that take your energy, and you just try to eliminate the things that don't really help you achieve your goals. Uh, and then you, you, you put time into the ones that do, uh, first, you know, God, your family, your work, jujitsu, that's kind of my energy pie. And then all the other things are peripheral. Uh, they have, some have value, some have not, but you know, just all the things that take, take your energy away each day. And if you just kind of focus on the things that are important and kind of uh, they'll help you work closer to your goals. So that's really a principle of just concentration of focus on the top priorities. And to do that first, you got to know what those are and, and clearly you do. So your energy pie, I guess this is based on the fact that if we'd imagine all of our minutes or hours in a day, we've all got a 24 hour pie. But how we choose to concentrate it determines whether we actually move forward or we just get caught up in all the trivia. Sure. You know, and just at Black Belt, you know, the skill level, I mean, it can be amazing. Uh, so sometimes you win a match just on a slight advantage. You're not going to really catch anybody in uh, submission always. Sometimes you do, but uh, you just have to be uh, mentally prepared for that, uh, that, that fight. And, um, that's what makes it just a fascinating sport. I just really love it, and it really clears the mind on a on a daily, weekly thing when you you don't have a competition coming up. But when 
competition season comes around and you just kind of uh, lock it in at a different level. Right. I got that. Um, how do you keep yourself from just feeling complacent? You know, being in the art business for, for 31 years, seven consecutive world championships. Um, how do you avoid that feeling that is sometimes called satisfied itis and cause yourself to keep growing and keep striving? Well, those are just very brief moments that I, that I feel, I don't really feel like I've arrived or satisfied in anything. I just kind of keep going. I mean, a lot of times I, I may not feel like training during the week, but those are the times that I've, I've, I've realized that's when I need to go. Uh, I want to stay home, do something else. No, I'll go train. Uh, I've just mentally catched myself because the mind will do certain things if you allow it to. So you have to train, I think, train your mind. So your daily actions must match your goals. So if I want to be a world champion, I can't just come home and eat a pint of uh, you know, chocolate ice cream. Uh, or I want to do well in work. I can't go to work and not get on the telephone and call clients or make prospective calls, text clients, or whatever. So my daily actions must meet those goals. So I try to just constantly, uh, like I said, things happen during the day, might throw you off, but I get back centered to what I'm there for. And that's that's just kind of who I am. Well, I think that's awesome. So letting your activity be dictated by by your goals and having a real clarity about the goals and then the discipline to actually do the things that relate to hitting that goal and not letting yourself get distracted, even though you might really like chocolate ice cream. <laughs> I think that's awesome. Um, Stan, what, what would you advise some of our listeners that are are really struggling to 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 center on their focus? In other words, They've got so many things they're trying to get done all at once, um, starting a business or, or building a business. How do you how do you determine what to work on first? What are some things? Well, first of all, I, I think the reason I I'm, I'm have this business is because I was part of a team. Uh, Spencer was a mentor to me for a number, I mean, my whole adult life. So I have tremendous respect for the time. Uh, and energy he gave to me. Uh, so I think being part of something, it can be a small team, it can be a bigger team, but you have people that are around you that want you to achieve and want you to reach the goals that you set for yourself. And those people will help you get there. I I train with people every week. I have a coach who puts his time and energy into me and we game plan and he works with me on an individual basis to, to, to do well at these tournaments. Uh, I know that, uh, even though I'm, I'm the only one standing on the podium, I realize that it's a, a team effort. It's the same thing in business. They may not be in house under the same roof, but I'm, I'm a part of something. So I think listening to people that are important to you, following what they suggest. Sometimes it's not things that you want to follow, but sometimes they have a better perspective because they've seen it before. They know what can happen. They know the struggles that people 
face. And if you just continue to, to, to seek wisdom in that place, I think it will allow you to uh, uh, move closer to your goals. I think when you feel like you're all alone, uh, I think that can be a, diff- a difficult challenge. That's why inspirational reading. I'm not a big reader, but I, I do believe in reading quotes and I like little snippets of information. I like the essence of something. Uh, and I try to, you know, kind of squeeze that as much as I can and follow my life that way. But I, I, I believe in listening to other people, uh, seek their guidance and wisdom and looking at your own life and your energy pile, what's taken up your energy and eliminating things that aren't really helping you move towards what you ultimately want to do. I mean, they can be just activities. They can be certain friends uh, uh, or just just things that are just you're not utilizing your time. Uh, so I think if you just analyze your energy pie and uh, and run that by a mentor, someone that you trust and you know has uh, wants the best for you, I think you'll you'll come up with a better energy pie and focus and allow you to see a bigger picture. It may not come today, it may not come in six months, but ultimately it will. Uh, if you just keep moving towards those uh, goals, just write them down. I think that's so important. You write them down. You 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 speak them out loud. You 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 hear them. You you see it with your eyes. It just in your it's building so many different levels in your brain that 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 will ultimately happen. And that's one of the reasons I think I've done exceptionally well in uh, competition is because I, I just. I won't accept any other outcome. And if it does, it happens. But I think in losing and setbacks, you always always learn tremendous amounts. Uh, one of my first competitions, I, I was winning seven to zero. And I was caught in a situation. I felt somebody doing something on my hair. And I go, what's going on there? And I raised up and I got caught in an arm, arm bar with like 15 seconds. Uh, it wasn't a world. It was a, a major tournament, though. Uh, but I learned so much just in that little instance by losing. So I think sometimes they're setbacks and they're good setbacks because you, you can learn a lot from a setback. So hopefully that answered a little bit of that question. Well, it completely does. In fact, you covered several different dimensions. One was the importance of humility. You said you may be the only one standing on the podium, but there were other people involved in it. Uh, the idea of seeking out mentors, listening to their advice, and realizing we don't know everything and other people can help us, figuring out the uh, the focus pie and having somebody critique that and remind you, is this really consistent with your goals in life? And the fact that even in setbacks, there are lessons that we can learn from and become stronger. You said a great deal, my friend, in just a few words. <laughs> we really appreciate that. Stan, I can't even believe how fast this has gone. Um, now, I know this is much longer than your normal match. I think you said often the length of a match when you're in a final is about 15 seconds and the other person submits. So <laughs> we're grateful that you put this amount of time into it with us. Just in closing, could you share one or two of the slogans or quotations that uh, uh, you... Two kinds of people. One finds a way. The other one finds an excuse. 
Um, so I think that's probably the right one of the ones that I've really enjoyed over time. Um, I remember that one for the from the book field, book field. Um, and then I cannot be intimidated. I'll find a way to achieve my goals. I go over, under, around, or right through any obstacle that stands in my way. That is a powerful, powerful quote. There are two kinds of people in the world. One finds a way and one finds an excuse. I feel the mentorship of Spencer Hayes. I hear it. Yeah, yeah. I'm looking at him right now. I am committed to achieving my goals. I try and try and keep on trying. I never give up. I constantly renew my commitment. These are brilliant, Stan Mabry. Thank you so, so much for taking time out of your art world and sharing some of the insights in your fabulous mind, how you concentrate, how you move forward. It is a real privilege and a pleasure on the Action Catalyst to have a world champion, seven times world champion, and all around tremendous human, very, very nice person as well. So we thank you on behalf of all of our listeners today. Stan Mabry, we appreciate you being part of the Action Catalyst. Thanks, Dan. I appreciate being here. If you enjoyed this podcast, please make sure to subscribe. To stay updated on everything that the Action Catalyst is up to, make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Action Catalyst Podcast and Twitter at Catalyst underscore Action. Thanks for listening.